Father, thank you for that reminder today that we do not exist so that you can make us great, but we exist to make you great. And Father, we just pray that today as we have shared in that reminder, God, that you would do exceptional work in us and through us and maybe mostly in spite of us. That Father, maybe today we feel a little broken, maybe today we feel a little empty, but may we take courage knowing that that means that we are empty vessels, that we are jars of clay that you can fill with your presence and with your goodness. So Father, today I just pray that you would speak to our hearts, to our lives, that you would help us to see you today and to be reminded that you are the one that we give all glory and honor and praise. And we thank you so much for Jesus that makes our connection with you possible, that has taken away every boundary and every barrier so that we might see your face. And may we do that today. And we ask this all through Jesus. And the church together says, amen. I just wanted to give you guys a, a quick announcement. Uh, about a, almost about a year ago, um, we started this project called Emerald Angels that many of you were a part of. And uh, this is where we help families, especially families who are in the foster care system. It provides uh, some of the essential needs at the beginning and also month to month for some of these families that the state does not provide. Well, uh, when, when we asked for commitments from this, um, it was about a $360 over the course of a year commitment. And we took in over $10,000 for that program. Now, this is where the struggle comes in because we actually still have about $8,500. We can't seem to spend that money because you guys keep giving to it. So what we're going to ask you is a weird request from a church. Please stop giving to this program, okay? Um, we're, we're, Brad, we need to take that line item off the online giving. We need you to stop giving to this. Listen, if we need more money, we will let you know. But there are other things. We've got a brand new mission that's starting. It's called Staff Caribbean Vacation. We'd like you to give to that. Um, I'm sorry, that's not correct. It's Caribbean. Um, no, but, but, but please stop giving to that. Now, listen, some of you said, hey, I committed to $360. We've given, you know, $300, and you want to give the rest of it, you can give the rest of that. If you want to fulfill that commitment, that's great. If you've given a few times, a lot of people wrote checks right at the beginning. Um, but we're going to ask you to kind of rather put that money to use somewhere else in, in one of our other programs or something different. What a great opportunity it is for a pastor to stand up before a church and say, please stop giving. Uh, it really is, uh, is an amazing thing. But we are, I do, want you to, I do want to be clear about this. Every penny you've given for Emerald Angels will go to Emerald Angels, okay? Um, and so we're going to be in contact with them. So we're not, I'm not a bait and switch person. If you gave it with that intention, the money will get to them and it will be for that purpose, just to be, to be, very, uh, to be very clear. Uh, we're in our series on Galatians, talking about what does life in the Spirit look like? And we're going to get to our text, which is uh, the latter part of Galatians 2 here in just a minute. But I want to start with a little bit of, we're going to have a little bit of fun and have a little bit of honesty and a little bit of vulnerability here today, um, because we're going to talk a little bit about relationships and maybe specifically about marriage. And I'm going to ask you the question, can you remember what was the last fight you had? Now, most of us that are married, it's in the context of our marriage, Right. Um, for those of you that are single, you have the privilege of fighting with, you know, employers and friends. If you're married, you don't have that, that privilege, right? Most of the fights that we have 
are in our marriage. Uh, I heard somebody recently say this, which I think is absolutely true. It said, in marriage, 50% of fights are about where we go to eat. You, you feel me? This is the problem, right? Hey, let's go, let's go pick something up today. Okay, let's do that. Where would you like to go? I don't care. Great. Why don't we go there? No, I don't want to go there. Why don't we go there? No, I don't want to go there. Why don't we go there? No, I don't want to. So we have rules in our house, right? If you, okay, you can either go and get pizza, or we can get Mexican food, or we can get Thai food. Okay, which one sounds the best? You've got to give options, okay? And your marriage will be so much happier if you just learn how to have this fight properly, okay? Or here's an idea, cook at home and your marriage will be way more successful. The other 50% of fights are about the thermostat, okay? Let me tell you how this fight goes in our house. Haley will wake up in the morning and she'll say, I sweated all the way through the night. Did you touch the thermostat? We have one temperature in the winter, we have one temperature in the summer, no, we don't even have one of those smart thermostats that you can adjust on your phone. It's one temperature. She'll wake up. Now I just start messing with her. Did you change the thermostat? Yeah, I added a degree just to, just to annoy you because I feel like there's not enough tension in our home as it is. Okay? What I, what I do say to them is, I don't know if you know this, but there are these things called hormones. And they happen almost every month. And we've got to adjust the thermostat based on your hormones. Listen, sweetie, we're not going down this road, okay? Man, you guys are like on fire responding today because you guys have had these same fights in your, in your marriage, okay? We're just getting started now. Now, I'm going to tell you, in my experience, um, there are three different kinds of couples, okay? When it comes to fighting, there are three different kinds of couples, uh, the first one is what I call the crazy couple. And what that means is they fight about everything all the time, okay? All the time they fight about absolutely everything. They have like 100 fights every single day, and most of them are about nothing. Listen, when you are fighting over the toothpaste tube and how one person squeezes it versus the other, the simple solve is get your own toothpaste tubes, right? That's what you should do. Now, a lot of couples that fight all the time about everything, listen, when, 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 when you are early married, you tend to fight a little bit more about things uh, because you're learning how to, to kind of live with each other and how's this going to work. And a lot of people come from homes that their parents, that they saw their parents fight about everything. So home for them is when there's constant tension and constant disagreement and constant fighting. And that's sometimes what they bring to the marriage. And you ask people, why do you fight about everything? Why do you always have something to say about absolutely everything? Well, that's what I saw growing up. That's what I experienced. And I think it's a crazy way to live. The, the reality is this. Either they have nothing good to fight about, or they're actually not fighting about the right things. And if you're a couple that's fighting all the time, you need to kind of get a handle on that. Okay, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today. So if that's you, you need to kind of own it and say, yep, that's us, and, and the way we go. The second kind of couple is what I call the time bomb couple. And that is the couple that says, we never fight. Okay, let me, let me translate what that means. Okay, we never fight is usually said by the person who is domineering in that relationship, and the other person's just given up. I want you to hear me. Somebody's giggling out there and going, oh, that's totally... I say that all... We never fight. Yeah, because your spouse has given up. It's not actually a great thing. Because what it means is we're not actually communicating. Or one has said, hey, I'm this domineering person and I've always got to be right or I've always got to win. 
And the reason why we never fight is because I have a partner who has just kind of cowed down and has said it's not worth it because it just goes, then we're going to be fighting about absolutely everything all the time. And there's some danger in that because we're not actually communicating healthily. And sometimes you know what it is. You guys, we play the silent treatment. Are you mad? No, I'm not mad. Nothing's wrong. Nothing, nothing. You know, that kind of stuff. It means you're not communicating effectively. Now, the third couple, the third couple I'm going to call the boring couple, which these are people that fight occasionally, but they tend to fight about things that actually matter. They, they sit down and they say, hey, we've got to learn how to fight. Are you guys right there? Are you okay? Do we need to stop for a minute? Are you guys one, two, or three? You've been married, what, about six months now? You're all three of them? Okay. Wow. There are a lot of personalities. We're going to have an exorcism prayer here in, in just a minute just to kind of talk about this. Okay. The, the reality is this. What, what, what do we all fight about? We fight about money. We fight about sex. We fight about kids. Most of your fights, if you're married, if you have young children, are about your kids. Uh, Haley and I took a Dave Ramsey course early on um, about 15 years ago. We had like one or two disagreements about money. We have not fought about money in 15 years. We really haven't. We learned how to talk about it, and it, and, and it was fine. A lot of the fights that we have are about kids. Now, I'm going to be a little open with you today, and you guys are going to judge me uh, because I'm going to tell you some stuff about the way that Haley and I don't always agree, especially on discipline with our kids. When I was growing up, if I did not listen, my mom or my dad sometimes would usually grab my ear and give it a little tug. Did your parents ever do this? And then your, your, your ear gets, so it doesn't really hurt you, but your ear gets nice and warm and it gets nice and red, and they say, what are these for, Right? These are for listening, and you're not doing that. Okay. Haley said she thinks that is really too mean, and I should never do that. So now I just do it when she's not looking, okay? <laughs> but the reality is, you know, we had a disagreement about this, and so we, we try to find the middle ground of saying that. The same way that if our kids lie or they talk back, they get a shot of vinegar. Now, it doesn't actually hurt you if they lie, or do, you should absolutely try this. It is amazing. I'm actually starting to do it with my staff now. It really is changing things, okay? It's game changer. Yeah. Now, but, but, but our goal is not to harm our kids. Our goal is because we love our kids. We don't want them to be brats. We want to actually raise them. We want there to be some discipline in our home. But it doesn't mean that Haley and I always agree about every single thing. We've just learned how to talk about it. Here's another story that I've told maybe before. When we had our first child, when we had Ella, Ella was about six weeks old, okay, and Haley went back to work after nine weeks, and so we did this thing called Baby Wise, which is kind of tied to the fervor method of teaching your kids to self-soothe, to be in their own rooms, to not, not have to be fed to go to sleep, you know, that they learn how to do that, and our kids did really well on this, and they were able to, you know, sleep through the night at eight weeks, they were never sleeping in our beds, um, they didn't have to be fed, you know, to go to sleep. We, we, we tried really hard with this, and Haley was brilliant about this. And our kids would wake up at 7, and she would leave the house. She would take Ella on the way to work. Uh, we would wake up at, she would wake up at 7, Ella would wake up at 7, and they would leave at about 7.20. And in that time, we kind of did everything as a team. So I would get up, and I would make sure she's awake, and I would change her from the night, and then get her ready. Then Haley would kind of, after she's curling her hair, run in there, feed her quickly, and then she would go and kind of finish getting ready. Then I would probably change her again, get her on her clothes, pack her school bag, take whatever, you know, the milk that had been, you know, I mean, this is all just what you do when you're, when you're newly, newly married or newly have kids, shall we say. Um, and, and the reality is, I did not have enough time. I couldn't get it all done. In 20 minutes, it was a very tight window for me, and I am a man, and even though I'm fairly good at some things, a lot of the baby stuff I just wasn't that good at. 
And so I went to Haley one evening and I said, hey, I need a little bit of help. I'm struggling to do this. I need you to do one more thing. I need you to just like pack the bag or change her or do something so that I have enough time to get everything done. Guess what? She didn't hear it that way. She already had guilt, the mom guilt, which all of you know about, that she had gone back to work, and she thought, am I doing my kids a disservice by working? And so she said, so you're telling me I'm not a good mom, and I don't do anything in this house. And, what, and that was the conversation. And I remember, this was the eye-opening moment for how we fight, because that was the moment that I said, okay, hold on. What do you think I'm saying? And she told me, I think you're saying that I'm a bad parent, and I don't do anything right, and that I'm not caring for our child properly. And I said, I'm not saying that. I'm telling you that I'm struggling and I can't do this in this amount of time and I need your help. And it changed the way that we fought. It changed the way that we listened, listened to each other and share with each other and keep fights about the things that they're actually about. You see, what we need to do is we need to learn to fight with the right people about things that actually matter. There are things worth fighting for but we have to know the difference between what is actually worth fighting for and with a person that's worth fighting with, rather than just living our lives with contempt and fighting with everybody all the time. This is why when, when Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he doesn't say you should never fight, which I think sometimes as Christians we think, right? You should never, be a, you should never have any fight in you as a Christian. That's not true. He says, I want you to fight the good fight of faith. You've got to fight for things that matter. The psalmist writes in Psalm 35 and verse 1, Contend, Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. And there's other passages in Scripture that talk about kind of God being, uh, you know, fighting for us and fighting with us. Uh, one of the things that you need, we need to learn as Christians is that God does not need defenders. He needs warriors. Remember when Peter and Jesus are having this conversation, who am I? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, I've got to go to Jerusalem and become the lamb of God. And Peter stands in the way and says, okay, guys, Jesus, let me just help you along here. Let me just defend this behavior. And Jesus tells him uh, with some very colorful words, I don't need you to defend me. What I need is for you to be a warrior of faith. You need to know your place and you need to fight about the right things. Or maybe the old Exodus 14 and verse 14, a passage that many of us have maybe used in difficult times. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. God has got this. God will fight for you if it is required. God will fight for us as a parent fights for their child. That's how much God fights for us and wants to fight for us. But I want to normalize something for us in our world today. I think we think sometimes in marriage, a healthy marriage is a marriage that never fights, which is absolute garbage. That's not true. Fighting is okay. In fact, fighting can be very healthy. It can help us learn who we are and how we think about things and where the boundaries are and how to move forward together. The, the other thing is this, church fights are okay. It's okay for us to disagree in the church. It's okay for us to not see things the same way because the Bible talks about iron sharpening iron constantly. I remember a long time ago, I had this, uh, th this gentleman, I was still very, very young in ministry, and I had this gentleman who he was one of those people that there was always something wrong. You ever met people like this? And it wasn't long before he came into my office one Sunday morning before church. 
And he was like, well, this other person, I have a problem with him, and there's a lot of stuff going on, and you know, he's just doing this and this and this, and told me the whole story, and I just sat there and listened. And when he was done, my only response to him was I said, well, what did he say when you told him? And the man said, I didn't tell him. And I said, well, he'll be here shortly. Why don't we all just go in a room and you can tell him? And then he started backpedaling. No, 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 no. I don't like conflict. I said, well, I don't either, but it sounds like this is a big enough issue. We need to talk about it. No, no, I I wouldn't know what to say. I said, don't worry. You just told me I'll remind you if you forget anything. Because the Bible tells us if a brother or sister sins against you, go to them. Point out their fault. It's not saying you can never tell someone, hey, I feel like you're wrong about this. But do it just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, then you've been won over. And if you read the rest of that text, it gives you a couple more steps if that doesn't work. It's okay for us to not agree about everything, but the way that we disagree matters. Conflict is a part of life, so we need to learn how to do it healthily. Now, guess what today's text out of Galatians 2, verses 11 to 21, is about? It's about a fight that emerges in the church. Now, look at this text. Let's look at this together. Beginning in verse 11 of Galatians chapter 2. It says, when Cephas came to Antioch, which is is Peter, we we know who this is. When, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. I didn't email him or throw something sarcastic on Facebook. I talked to him. That's powerful. For certain men came from James, for certain, before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. In other words, Christians who had originally been Jews. He's worried about them. And so he tries to sort of, sort of stay away. Verse 13, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Now Barnabas, if you remember we talked about last week, he came from the Jerusalem church. He was one of the leaders there. And now Peter is eating, but then this other group come in and he starts to behave a little badly. He starts to do things that he used to do. And one of the things that I will tell you in conflict that I've learned is that stepping towards the past creates unhealthy conflict. You ever do this in your marriage when you guys are having a fight and the gloves start coming off and you start bringing up stuff from a long time ago? You remember when you did this? And you remember when you did... Has that ever gone well? Have, has somebody ever gone... You know, remember three years ago when you forgot our anniversary and the other person goes, you know what, you're right. That just means so much to me that you've remembered my failures. And I'm going to be different moving. It doesn't go well. Yet that's what Peter's doing. He's stepping back into bad behavior, and it's not going to go well. Verse 14, this is Paul. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of all of them, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Because Jews and Gentiles did not eat together. 
We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, okay, that's a bit harsh, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus so that we may be, just, may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if you, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among sinners. Doesn't that mean, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I would really be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, he's going to go on in this text talking about other things, but what he is saying here is that God has removed all barriers between us and him, and we should not rebuild walls that God has torn down. If God has taken a wall down in your life, if God has forgiven you of something that you have done, and your goal in life is to build back up that you're not good enough, you're violating what God has done. And we all do this. We all struggle with this. But if God says, hey, this is no more, or you shouldn't have this barrier with another person, or even if you have a fight with someone and you guys are resolved between you, you need to move on like that's not there anymore. You can't now go, well, I'm just going to keep building walls. I'm just going to keep putting them up. Even though God has redeemed that line as a human, I'm going to now put up more walls. That's not the way that we should do things. You see, Christian faith is an embodiment is an expression and embodiment of what God has accomplished through Christ. When Jesus is real for us, our lives look different. We do things differently. We approach things differently. You will approach your marriage differently as an unbeliever or as a believer. That's why Paul says, because I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If I do not set, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could have been gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. This is what Paul is saying to Peter and to us. The message of Jesus, known as the gospel, is something worth fighting for. The gospel in our lives, the barriers that Jesus has taken down so that we can be in communion with God is worth fighting for. And it's not because Paul has never had this experience or this thought that Peter does. But here's the reality. Peter is acting like he doesn't believe in Jesus because of the way that he's doing things. He's trying to keep everybody happy. And Paul confronts him and says, listen, the gospel of Jesus is worth fighting for. It's worth going to the hill for. It's worth standing up for. We've got to learn as people to fight for what truly matters. We see Jesus do this all the time. You know, Jesus walks into the temple and he turns over the tables, not because he's just mad. He does that because they are violating people's access to God. And they're, they're building walls 
where God has said, I want there to be freedom. In John 8, when they bring a woman who's caught in the act of adultery, and they throw her at the feet of Jesus, they want Jesus to follow them and to do something and punish this woman. And then Jesus gives them a speech about who doesn't sin. Jesus would fight for people. He would fight for the truth of what he was going to die for. And Paul seems to think that that's worth fighting for. And I think he's probably right. You know, maybe to put the the rubber on the road, so to speak, we need to learn to fight for our marriages rather than just in our marriages. If we spend half the amount of energy that we do being right about something that really is not going to matter versus fighting for the person that we're next to, it would change the face of our marriage and it would show that we have been crucified with Christ and we no longer live, but he is the one that lives in us. This is why Paul writes to Timothy and he says, fight the good fight of faith, which by implication means there are bad fights in faith to have. Fighting about carpet colors or fighting about, well, I don't like the new entrance, so I'm not a fan. It doesn't matter. What matters is we fight the fight of faith because when we fight the fight of faith, we will find the Spirit of God because that's where the Spirit of God dwells. If we're fighting about the wrong things in our lives, in our marriages, we're, we're, you know, in our relationships, we're just always, always finding obstacle or something that's wrong, and we're not fighting for faith like we should, we will never find the Spirit of God. And Paul does not want us to miss that. He wants us to realize that that is the only fight that matters. We've got to learn to fight with the right people about the right things because that's where the Spirit of God dwells. Listen, I know this is a bad confrontation probably between Peter and Paul. There were probably a lot of hurt feelings. But Paul wasn't trying to be right. He was trying to tell Peter, don't violate what God has taken down by putting it back up because that's not where the Spirit of God dwells. The Spirit of God dwells in the uncertain, in the difficulty, in the conflict, in the place where we cannot trust our own intuitions and instincts, that's where the Spirit of God dwells. When we are empty, we can be filled. If we're full of our own righteousness, we're not crucified with Christ. And that's what Paul wants us to hear. So go home, have the right fights about the right things. Fight for your faith. Fight for what God has called us to fight for. And when we do that, we will encounter the Spirit of God. And what a wonderful thing that would be. Father, today, I thank you just for meeting us in this place, for speaking powerfully to our lives, to our hearts. God, I just pray that even though we've had a few laughs today and maybe we've seen ourselves in the midst of some of these stories, we pray that we would hear the resounding words that the call is for us to be like you, for us to lay down our lives and our opinions 
and our rightness for the sake of something bigger and better. So, Father, today, I just pray that you would remind us that your spirit is available to us, that at once every corner of our hearts and our lives, and may we be willing to give up some of that dominion so that you can do your work in us and through us. Father, thank you for these words today. May we take them to heart. May they change us and transform us into spirit-filled people. And we ask this all through Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together.